0: Good morning, hey, thank you for having me here, and th- I want to, th- uh, just to pick up on the weather conversation, because that's where we start as strangers, how's the weather? Uh, I want to say thank you for the weather, uh, have, being born and raised in Oakland, California, uh, last time I was here, it was February, and it was not <laughs> like this, <laughs> and so it's been a while since I came back. Uh, Not because I don't like you, it's just there's pain involved in the winter. I was in Pittsburgh two weeks ago, no, not two weeks ago, Pittsburgh a little over a month ago, and uh, when I I left Pittsburgh, it was uh, five degrees outside, and when I landed in Oakland, it was 70, uh, and I thought, I've chosen well, Uh, but I'm really happy to be back with you, born and raised in uh, 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 just outside of Oakland, where, where I am now, uh, which makes me a Raider fan. And uh, you don't have to boo. You don't have to. I mean, you can if you want. Uh, <laughs> but you, you can't hurt me. Uh, I, I, I've been hurt. Uh, I, have, I, have, I have wounds and scars and what have you. Uh, my mother is the Raider fan. I'm, I, I'm a Raider fan, and I love my Raiders. My mother is the Raider fan. She has missed a grand total of three football games since 1965 uh season ticket holder, she followed the team to los angeles she uh then picked up tickets in 95 uh when they came back to oakland she uh only one of those times to give you a glimpse she was in the driveway in the car and i stood behind the car to keep her from backing out because she had walking pneumonia and she said i'm (laughs) going (coughs) to this game so you really you could die and uh I love you, and I, I, I mean, I don't want you to, so we're going to watch it on TV, so that's my mother, uh, so we're, we're actual fans, we're one, of those, we're one of those actual fans. So being here, at, you know, I, my mom and I have got a great relationship, it's kind of our thing, the Raiders, it's like a, like a family tradition, I'm an only child, some of you guys picked that up pretty early, uh, 40 years old, 41 years old, still an only child, um, and... Uh, Hey, you never know these days, so you got you to gotta, you gotta clarify. And, but over the last, I, I, I don't know, decade and a half or so, I have, God has been teaching me, and this is the thing I'll pass on to you, this incredible lesson about... The, the necessity and the gift of community, of relationship. I like being by myself. I'm an extrovert, but I really like my own little space. And what I've learned is that I am my best self. I'm the best version of who I am in relationship to the people that God's given me. That I can't live my life fully and be fully who I am if I'm not in really healthy, primary relationship with the folks that God's given me to. And I think that that actually ends up being true of you as well, that relationships— community it's not just a matter of circumstance it's not just a matter of like you happen to live in a certain neighborhood in a certain town here's what I believe I think God gives us to the people that we live with I think God gives us to our neighborhoods even to our families as odd as that can be and the stories I'll tell this morning uh, will angle at that what does it look like what does it look like to live into the gift and the necessity of relationship? In 1998, 1999, about this sort of nine-month stretch, uh, three things happened in my life. Uh, one, I got married, uh, still married, which is super rad, um, and, uh, and I planted a church in Concord, just outside of Oakland, and then I started a music career. I, 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 I gave up. I put down, it was very difficult, to put down a lucrative, lucrative career as a uh, youth minister. Um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you for understanding. Uh, and then, uh, and decided instead to, to move into uncharted territory and uh, be a white man with an acoustic guitar. Uh, turns out that had been done before. Uh, so, so then these two things, these kind of three things: my marriage with my wife and my 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 church as an associate pastor of this church and my career as an artist all have grown up together. And what I've learned in this process is stuff I'm going to pass on. Like I'm not fully who I am. If I'm not in relationship with my wife, this is the, this is one of the gifts that God's given me, but there's also this ragtag group of folks in Concord, California that call themselves shelter covenant church. And their family in a way that has made me more completely who I am. So uh, I'll share a few stories. This is a, it's a song I'll share. I wrote actually for that community of people, and released this in like 2005 or something. And when I released this song, uh, my wife was convinced that this song was about her, and it's not. Uh, so that was a good conversation. Um, what the therapist said was, that's not true, uh, uh, but it's about the the way I come into my primary relationships or have in the past, and maybe you resonate with this. I've got these people around me, and they're just there, but then something happens, and I need them, and it's because I need them, I recognize that they're there, and I feel like they're not just there, but maybe they've actually been given To me. Sometimes we come to these primary gifts, these relationships, through kind of like a back door. Uh, It's not through the front door where we we choose, but we actually end up there and we recognize what it is that we've been given. So um, this is called Back Roads and Long Ways.
1: Lately, I've been taking the back roads and long ways. Baby. To the places I found you before land well, I know it was over a long time before now I'm just hoping you didn't let go Some days I just wander around in our memories Someday, I can't stand to be pleased you've been. Both ways, I'm always aware of your presence. And I'm hoping you'll let me back. On my own well, I'm just better with you you my family my shelter my home. so now as I stand in your doorway. Yeah. I You're sweet and your mercy You the gap between my pride and my will Cause I'm just better with you Than I ever could be on my own well, I'm just better with you With my family, my shelter, my May I drink your words like wine May I drink Shelter, ooh, you're my home.
0: Thank you. Even among uh, even among the, the, that larger tribe of people. And maybe you, you resonate with this as well. In the same way that Jesus had the, 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 the masses and then he had the 72, but then there was also the 12. But then even within the 12, there was the two. Even within this group of people that I feel like I really do belong to, that I've been given to, and they've been given to me, I, there are a few folks with whom I have a little bit more resonance. So I'm gonna tell you a story about one of those gentlemen. His name is Stavros Kalagirou That's a real name. He's Greek. Uh, I had a Greek roommate. He's a very handsome Greek roommate, made being a single guy a little rough for a while. <laughs> and Stavros is more like a brother to me than a friend. He's, he's like the brother I didn't grow up with. And I, and I know what I mean when I say that now. Uh, see, with, with a brother, see, I, re, I wrote this book. Here, here's what I mean. This, this, it's a collection of, of letters I wrote to the people that, uh, that I'm telling these stories about. And... I wrote this story in here about Stavros. And I handed it to him. I said, hey, man, you're you're in this book I wrote. And he's like, oh, wow, cool. And so he took the book. And now a friend reads the whole book. A brother reads only his chapter. (laughs) A friend, when they tell you about the book, they lead with encouragement. A brother leads with critique. I'll get to that in a minute. So Stav's one of these folks in my life that I I can't really imagine, I don't want to have to imagine living my life without. My wife is one of those persons, but there are folks beyond that there, and Stavros is one of those people. He's someone without whom, there are just places I don't get to. There are things I don't achieve. There's a part of me that just isn't Alive. And here's, this, here's, here's what I mean. There's a story about, about Stavros and I and why he's not just someone, he's an essential element in my life. I have heard it takes roughly 13 hours to drive from the San Francisco Bay Area to Tacoma, Washington, where my wife went to college. I happen to know that if you leave with your roommate in a borrowed North Face dome tent, travel in the middle of the night without an atlas, or cash, that trip can be done in closer to 32 hours. (laughs) I came to this knowledge on an adventure with my non-biological brother, Stavros. He and I were on Young Life staff together. We roomed together in a place with no running water. And we've shared in many of our life's most significant adventures and moments, including this one. You see, I'd fallen for this girl who was studying at the University of Puget Sound in Tacoma, Washington. Her name was Amy. Still is. After writing letters back and forth for several months, I really wanted to see her face to face. So Stav and I planned this road trip north. Now, before you go thinking that this is about me dragging a friend along on some personal romantic pilgrimage to see about a girl, you should know about the other motivation for our journey. See, Stav and I had heard rumors from Amy and from others of a particularly delectable French toast served at a Vietnamese restaurant in Tacoma. So sure, we planned the trip so I could see about a girl, but also so we could try Vietnamese French toast. Now, to say Stav and I planned this trip is something of an exaggeration. We didn't really plan anything. We just knew we wanted to go. We didn't have much in the way of money. Did I mention we were on Young Life staff? But we figured things would work out as we went along. We also didn't know exactly how to get there because we didn't own a map. But we figured we had the most pertinent geographical information. Tacoma was north. <laughs> so, armed with the knowledge that Tacoma, the girl, and the, and the Vietnamese French toast were all located north, we hopped in my 1992 Honda Civic hatchback and set out north. Stavros drove up most of the west coast until we came to Fort Stevens State Park. In Oregon. in Oregon, Fort Stevens is 4,200 acres of beauty. Fort Stevens is also a peninsula from which there is no way north into Washington. <laughs> <laughs> the sun had set long before we got there and because we didn't exactly foresee the road ending, we decided to stay the night in Fort Stevens. So parking my car, we grabbed the very expensive and very yellow North Face dome tent, We had borrowed from my dad's jogging buddy John and hiked through the knee high grass to camp on the beach, which was illegal. Now, when I said earlier, you know, know, the way Staub responded to this and, and, you know, the way brothers are, leading with critique, here's what Staub, he didn't write and be like, hey, I didn't know I liked the book. Eventually he told me he liked it. Here's what he said First message after reading, he said, Bro, how did you forget about the rabbits? So <clears throat> there are memories we have that are sort of just in our head. There are memories we have that are in our noses. That sort of like, And then there are those memories that like, possess your entire psychology. <clears throat> this is one such memory. And as I read the email, I said, bro, how did you forget about the rabbits? <laughs> like, I, I literally, I shuddered. I was like, oh. All this is true. We, we, we left with no cash, no map. We had nothing. We <clears throat> borrowed our landlord's gas card. Uh, <clears throat> it was... <laughs> He was clearly not using it. It was just sitting there on the table. So, <clears throat> excuse me. The plan was that we would just camp. Like, we, we don't have money for hotels. So we're just going to camp. Where are you going to camp? We're going to camp at a campground. Where will you find a campground if you don't have a map? We will go to campgrounds where there are trees. There are usually campgrounds around trees, which turns out is the entire state of Oregon. It's just trees. It's all trees. So we just kept pulling off and pulling off. I could not find a place. Eventually, as it's getting, getting later and later, we find this little KOA campground. 50 spots, about 30 of which are taken up by cars or trailers or tents, but there are no people. There's no one around. There's smoke rising from recently burning fires. No people. There are, though, hundreds of rabbits. So we kind of crept around really slowly, driving about two miles an hour. Stav gets out of the car and unzips a tent, and there's no one in there, and Knocks on a trailer, and there's no one in there. And there's Just rabbits everywhere, kind of looking at us. <laughs> we pull all the way around in the front to the little kiosk, a little wooden kiosk, the entryway. And I knock on the door. It says open. And I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I knock on the door, and it goes, <laughs> and I look inside, and the, the attendants aren't there. They're four rabbits. In the kiosk, you have four rabbits hanging on there. <clears throat> so we just left <laughs> in in terrified silence and drove without saying a word for like ninety minutes. Just because we knew we knew what had happened. All of those people had become rabbits. <laughs> and we we had been exposed to whatever airborne. Toxin <laughs> transformed them into rodents. So we left, and we just drove and didn't think about where we were going, which is how we ended up off the road. There's one highway that runs from the Bay Area to the Tacoma. It's Highway 5. Should be an easy shot unless you run into, you know, like an army of rabbits. And at this point, then you're off. How how'd you forget about the rabbits, he wants to know. Why won't you let me forget about the rabbits, bro? We left the beach the next morning feeling like victorious pioneers. We sang with the radio like men set free from the shackles of societal expectation. And we like a couple guys who spent the night on the beach, which was problematic because there was this girl up north I was hoping to impress. Leaving the peninsula, we had to go south in order to go north. One of the moments on life's journey when going backwards is actually the same thing as going forwards. As we passed through Astoria, Oregon, Stav pointed this funky little hotel about a half mile up and said, let's just ask the folks at that hotel if we can use one of the rooms to clean up, you know, for free. <laughs> I stepped into the lobby and said, um, hi. My friend and I drove up from the Bay Area last night and I'm on the way to see this girl and we kind of smell bad. A girl, huh? Which is when Stav jumped into the lobby and said, well, yeah, but there's also this Vietnamese French toast. A set of keys slid across the counter, followed by a voice saying, Room 15, bring it back when you're done. Stav showered while I cleaned out the car, and I showered while Stav returned the keys to la dame de fumer. This guy was chain-smoking. It was ridiculous. 30 minutes later, we were back on the road headed north, and we got to Tacoma early that evening. With enough time to tell Amy and her roommates a few stories from our trip. Now, this journey has served to provide Stavros and I a memory that will last our entire lives despite our having known very little about how we would go about it. Or, maybe it would be more accurate to say that the incompleteness of our knowledge is actually part of what made it such a memorable trip. Maybe that's why God doesn't tell me everything. Because life's actually better when it's not the way I plan it. Maybe he really likes the way I improvise. Maybe God wants me to be as creative as I am obedient, and I don't know for sure. I'm just vamping on what I do know, and part of what I know is this, that God does not withhold information because he wants me to live in fear. I think God refrained from showing me the whole story because he wants me to actively live in confidence with the people that I've been given to, and courageously live into the adventure he's laid before me. See, I can so easily get hung up on what I don't know. I let fear of what might happen keep me from acting. But when I can muster just enough courage to step in the direction of what I do know, then the unknown parts of my life take on better names than unsafe or unsure. When I act in faith, the unknown parts of my life take on names like possibility, and adventure. Those moments in my life, those moments when I'm able to push through my own fears, those moments when I'm able to remember the commitments that I've made to myself and my world, almost always come because someone helps me get there. They almost always come because someone reminds me of who I am. They almost always come because I've got a friend who'll tell me, this is what you said you were going to do. Stick with your commitments. A friend who'll say, this is is who I remember you as. This is a, every person who got a story uh, or a letter also got a song. This is the song I wrote uh, for Stavros uh, and about our relationship uh, and about the kind of courage that he gives me as a person. The kind of courage it takes to actually step into the promises we make. In our better moments, when we have those moments of clarity and we dream of the life we want to have and we receive that gift from God, to be able to share that with someone next to me so that when I forget, because I forget, can I get an amen? We We are a people who forget. When I forget, someone can hold my memories for me and say, no, 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 I know you're scared right now, but this is what God has done in the past. I know you're afraid right now, but this is the kind of person you actually are. I've needed those people in my life. Stavros has been that kind of person in my life to remind me of my better self, to remind me of the presence of Jesus in my life, to grant me the kind of courage it takes to live this life.
1: You were in the praises of your people. You were in the silences between. You were in the wars between the nations. You were in the wars we fight for thee. You were in the absence of a father you were in a mother's patient love you were in the dreams of friends who wander you were in the worlds they're dreaming of Lord give me eyes to see Lord give me strength to leave you give me all So give me courage to believe You are in the gift of all who gather You are in the bread and in the wine You are in the gifts we come to offer You are in our sacrifice of time You are in the neighborhoods we live in You are in the ones we're passing by. You are for the ones we call our neighbors and the ones who still escape our eyes. Lord, give me eyes to see strength to lead. Lord, give me strength to lead. You give me all I need. You give me all I need. So give me courage to believe. You're in the blood, the water, compassion for the poor. You're in our longing for justice and the heart that longs no more. You're in our hope for tomorrow and the pain of the day. You are where you are. You are where you are you're in the blood and the water compassion for the poor you're in our longing for justice you're in the heart that longs no more you're in the hope for tomorrow you're in the pain of the day you are where you are you are where you are me all. You give me all I need. So give me courage to believe. Travel with me one more time. Lord, give me eyes. Lord, give me eyes to see. Strength to lead. Lord, give me strength to lead. You give me all. So give me courage to believe. Amen.
0: Amen. In the second chapter of Mark, we get this remarkable story about these four friends who have a fifth friend. Their fifth friend does not have the use of his arms or his legs. Mark calls him a paralytic. And these four friends hatch this plan to get their friend all the way across town to where it's rumored that Jesus. teaching and they think they believe that if they can get their friend all the way across town to the feet of jesus that jesus just might do one of these miraculous works they've heard about so they lay their friend on a mat and they pick him up and they carry him all the way across town but when they get there mark says it's so packed in that place they can't get in and if it's four guys like me that's the end of that story It just ends with a a word, it just says, and they got there and could not get in, comma, bummer. That's how it would end. (laughs) But this is where you find out that it wasn't four guys like me. They had at least one crazy friend, at least one. And if you have a crazy friend in your life, thank God that you have a crazy friend because your crazy friend makes your life better. See, four guys like me come up against an obstacle like that and we're like, oh man. The crazy friend goes, oh, I've got an idea. And the next thing you know, these guys are on the roof. On the, I don't know how you get a paralyzed man on a rooftop in the first century. I don't know how this happens, but I know it takes a crazy friend. And so now they're on the roof and they're trying to figure out where it would be if that's the front door, where Jesus would be teaching. And it's at this point that the second phase of crazy friends plan goes into action as they start to cut a hole in this man's roof. The guy who invited Jesus into his house for like Bible study and snacks just got a sunroof. He did not order. You know, here's the deal. We, we hear these stories so often and we sometimes lose touch with the radical nature of these things. So let's do this. Let's, let, let's hit pause on the story and, and, and put it in this room right now. Let's say this morning, as I'm teaching and I'm talking, we hear the sound of footsteps and what sounds like, I don't know, a body being dragged around on the roof. And then debris begins to fall on the stage behind me in chunks. As we look up through the debris, we see these four heads looking through the hole down at us. If all that was to happen this morning, here's the thing that no one in the room says. No one goes, oh, what faith they have. Nobody says that. That's not how that goes. We look up through the hole like, get off the roof. Like, what are you, like, what are you doing? You look nuts. Are you crazy? Right? It looks crazy. But isn't that always the case? Isn't it always the case when we step into the things God has invited us into, it looks a little nuts? So maybe if people are questioning your sanity a little bit about the way you're living your life, the way you're spending the money, the people, the, the, the people you're investing in, maybe it's because you're living right. People thought Jesus was crazy. Maybe if people think we're crazy, it's because we're actually stepping in his footsteps So now these four friends are lowering their fifth friend through the roof, and he's lying on this mat looking up through the hole at his friends, and he's thinking about all the times that they've helped him, all the ways they've helped him, thinking about the effort it took to get him here and the love they've got for him, thinking about all the times that he's seen them drop things. (laughs) but they don't. They set him down at the feet of Jesus. And that's when the story takes its most radical turn. Because Jesus says nothing to the man lying on the ground about his spiritual condition or his physical condition. What Mark says is that Jesus looked up through the hole and he saw their faith. And in response to their faith, he turned to the man on the ground and said, your sins are forgiven take up your mat and walk. Not his faith. In response to the faith of his friends, Jesus healed and restored that man and reconciled him to the Father. Here's the trick, guys. You've been there. You've been there when you ran completely out of your own faith and your own strength and someone else's faith picked you up and carried you for a season. Can I get an amen? You've been there when someone else's vision carried you for a season because you quit on your own. See, we don't get, just get to have these relationships. We don't just get to have community or practice church in a community called community. We don't just get to name it that. We have to have it because the truth of the matter is there are places we simply cannot get to if we're going by ourselves. There are places in our hearts. There are places in this world. There are things that cannot be achieved, will not be achieved if we practice this life by ourselves. We are given as gifts to one another. You are given as a gift to the people you've been given to. Best example of this I've ever seen. I met this young man. His name is Deephalder in a small town outside Calcutta, India. He met us at his school and he was fired up to meet us at his school because most of the kids in this village don't get to go to school. Their poverty prevents them from going to school. They can't afford it, so they don't go. So he's got his little backpack on. He's bouncing from one side to the other, this schoolhouse. And it's like, this, this is where we sit and we eat every day. And he eats every day, which is something that's not true of almost any of the kids in his city because their poverty has stolen that from them. He's, I eat every day and we sit here. He goes, oh, over here, this is where the doctor comes and she sits here and, and she sits on this stool and if we're feeling sick, she helps us to get better. He gets access to medical care. No one in his village, adults, kids get access to medical care because their poverty prevents them from doing so. But see, Deep Halder is different. Not because of him, but because there's this body of believers, there's this church just outside Calcutta, India, that has a a. a, a partnership with compassion international compassion reaches into spots just like this all over the world in 29 different countries and rescues children from poverty in the name of jesus he's one of these kids so this church doesn't believe of him that his poverty ought to prevent him from living well they believe he is a child of the living god can i get an amen well see there's this church but there's also this this teenage girl that sponsors him for a dollar 23 cents a day that's it And because of this teenage girl and because of this body of believers, there's this great big hole in the culture of India and through that hole, kids just like Deepholder are being lowered to the feet of Jesus and they're being reconciled to the Father and they're being restored and healed and built up in Christ every day. There are 200 some odd, 280 sponsors in this room. I want you to know that's what you're doing. I want you to know you are lowering children through a big hole in poverty's culture all over the world to the feet of Jesus, and I'm telling you that when you do that, Jesus does His part. So just says, "Hey, would you like to meet our family?" I was gonna love to meet your family. So we hike down the road, we duck into the, their hut, and this is—I'm uh, standing on the back wall when I took this picture. And that's, his, that's a few of his family. The place is probably not quite the size of this stage. And there are eight people who live in there, including Deepal's the father, who reaches out and grabs my hand. He says, can I tell you a story about my son? He doesn't say it in English. He says it in Hindi. And the pastor of the program, because everything Compassion does happens through local church. The pastor of the program was there and he translated the story. And Deep father, says, you'll notice I'm very skinny. He says, I'm, I'm not skinny because I, I don't eat regularly. I'm skinny because, well... For a year, up until six months ago, I didn't have the use of my arms or my legs. And I looked at the pastor and I said, are you saying that he's saying that he was paralyzed for a year? And the pastor said that he had been brought on as an electrician's apprentice, that he was working and he had fallen off a roof and he had broken his neck. When they took him to the hospital, his friends carried him to the hospital. They turned him away from the hospital because he's a member of the Dalit caste and they do not treat members of the Dalit caste because they are poor. And they can't afford it. So they send him home. And you can't see it in the picture, but behind him, there's this little red mat rolled up in the corner. And Deve's dad said, I lay here on this mat for a year. We didn't know how we were going to make it. And he said this, but my son was getting letters from his sponsor. Friends, (laughs) anytime someone's telling a story about Jesus and things are a little bit dark in the story, and then they say, but... It's about to get really good. Because the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. We didn't know, he said, how we were going to make it. But my son was getting letters from a sponsor. So when you sponsor a child like so many of you do, this is Charles. This is the only place in the world this packet exists. Because it's not just that you get to offer access to medicine and access to education and access to daily food to these kids. All those things are wonderful, life-saving things. But you know what changes a life? is a relationship in Jesus Christ. So when you sponsor a child, you offer all these wonderful gifts, but the gift you most like urgently offer the best gift you offer is you and you are the gift that God most happily gives to his world so she got these letters this kid got these letters from deep about his dad and she just started writing him because she didn't know what else to say about jesus She said, here's a story about Jesus healing someone. And letter after letter after letter, DePaul, father said, we got all these letters from her and there were these stories about Jesus healing people. We'd never heard anything like that. There are 300 million gods in the Hindu religion. None of them care for their people. Jesus does. you would never heard anything like that. My son, he said, he believed the words of those stories. And so in the middle of the night, he went to the pastor's house. Take note. In the middle of the night, he went to the pastor's house and knocked on the door. Duck, duck. He said, will you come pray pray for my father the way they do in the Bible? So this pastor with a couple of children walked down that mile. He said, his father said, they came in and they, they knelt down around the mat and they put their hands on my body and they prayed for me in the name of Jesus. And then he said this. So after I got up, my family and I were talking and I said, stop a second and go back to the part where you got up. He said, yeah, st- they prayed for me in the name of Jesus and I stood up, but what I want you to know, he said, because this was more important for him. What I want you to know is that after I stood up, my family and I, we discussed it. We decided we would no longer be Hindus. Instead, we, we will follow Jesus. That's eight people. Eight people carried to the feet of Jesus Christ. Not by the faith of the 40-some-odd-year-old man who was healed. Not even by the faith of the 10-year-old boy who set this in motion? No, by the faith of this 16-year-old kid who heard a story a little bit like the one I just told you at her church and walked out to the tables just like we have out there and picked up a packet that said deep holder and what she believed is that she spent a cents a day and 15 minutes a month to write letters that if she carried this child to the feet of Jesus that Jesus would do one of those miraculous works she had heard about and she was right. 15-year-old girl, 16 now, living in Canada. She's a Canadian. A Canadian. (laughs) Of all things, friends. (laughs) I want to invite you into that story. To be to one another what Stav is to me an essential element, someone without whom I can't imagine living my life. To be, to a child on that table, an essential element. Someone who calls out the better part of who they are and says, you are not your poverty. You're a child of the living God. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to be a part of your life. So this is a song that, uh, that I wrote for my congregation of people. And because I cannot be with them today, I'm with you. If You are my congregation for the morning. So if you would please stand with me uh, and sing this song. goes like this
1: all things will be made good again all things will be made good again all things will be made good again that's your part it'll come back around here we go you are the vision Ever before our eyes And our inspiration Is the strength we find Knowing that someday You are going to make all things right yeah. But we aren't just waiting We aren't just singing about it We're learning to live here On this earth as it is in heaven, with our spirits and bodies, with our people and with our time. Here we go, all things sing it out. Feel like all all things will be made good again. All things will be made good again. All things will be made good. disappointment it's a shadow of your great light it's a seed of the kingdom taking root in our hearts and minds and our spirits are groaning for the world to be reconciled Vem
0: Through him, all things were made. In him, all things are held together. To him and by him, all things are being and will be made good, made whole, made new. That's all things, friends, all things. Your life, your relationships, your job household, your neighborhood your dreams, even the ones you quit on all things will be made good again and when we enter into a relationship when we enter into this process we enter into this knowing that he finishes the things he starts. Sing it with me one more time
1: all things will be made good again all things You'll be made good again. All things.